Go ahead and find your way to the scripture reading for today, Matthew 6, Matthew 6. And while you're finding your way there, I wanted to show this little video as an intro because, you know, this time of year, it could be a wonderful thing. You know, it could be a very beautiful thing, but it's also one of the saddest times of the year. You see rates of suicide and depression goes up significantly during Christmas time. You see a lot of accidents and deaths and fighting over the, the, the next Tickle Me Elmo, whatever it is. I think it's Hashimoto's right now and, you know, little eggs that hatch into things and the latest toy, the latest fad. I have seen even throughout, you know, while growing up, People go crazy over Christmas. And this was before like pay the advance loans and things like that, like a 50% interest or something just crazy like that where we get into debt and we lose suddenly track and we lose sight of what this is all about. Now, now we recognize that Christ wasn't really born on December 25th. We know that. We're very well aware of that. You know, as a matter of fact, scholars believe that it was possibly somewhere around October, November, most likely that he was born. And that's because... Because even though we don't know when Jesus was born, we know at least when the announcement for John the Baptist to, to be conceived was there. And they sort of calculate like, you know, nine months after that, we know that Jesus was announced six months later. So nine months after that, carry the two plus minus two or three toes, somewhere around there. But we really don't know exactly. However, however, you know, the world tries to do this you know, and recognize it. But then we get caught up on a lot of things. We get caught up on gifts. We, we get, I, I call it entrapment where, you know, like I have one kid and you have like 10 kids and then you buy my kid, my kid a gift and it's like, great. Now I got to come up with 10 for yours because I got to reciprocate, even though I wasn't planning to do that to begin with. And now, and so, so suddenly all of these distractions, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. You know, Ellen White, you know, talks a great deal of how people's hearts seem to be more receptive during Christmas and Easter. And we should preach, you know, a, a good message. And if we're going to get gifts, maybe we'll do books and, and things like that. And she goes about all these different things about what a wonderful time it is to minister to people. But I also want to propose the idea that when the wise men came, they brought gifts to Christ. And what a greater thing to do this time of year, in addition to the before Christmas sales and after Christmas sales and Black Friday deals, in addition to all of that, but how cool would it be that we chose to give ourselves to Christ, to recommit to Christ, to give him the greatest gift, which is surrendering ourselves to him. I remember years ago, before I became a Floridian, when I actually used to vacation to Florida, now we try to vacation outside of Florida, and we're going to go find snow now, uh, you know, in the upcoming weeks so that the kids can go tubing and skiing and build snowmans and throw snowballs at each other and stuff, because that's that's Christmas fun. Uh, and so we're doing that. But I remember years ago, I was coming down from New Jersey. And you know, near south of the border, where you're seeing like those signs, you're like 200 miles to south of the border. And then, you know, and 198, and do like every two miles, and 196. And then finally you get there, and you pass it. Turn around. You just missed us. We're two miles that way, and then four miles that way. Well, shortly after that, somewhere in South Carolina, there was a sign, a black background, and just white letters that said, Wise men still seek him. And I'm like, huh, huh, hmm. You know, you ever read something, you know, the things that make you go, hmm? You know, it was one of those things that's like, wow. I wonder how many of us have stopped seeking him. 
I wonder how many of us are no longer looking for him. I wonder how many of us feel that when we give our lives to God, it's like a graduation and then that's it. And many, how many of us feel that when we get baptized or commit to the Lord, it's like going to a wedding and saying, yes, I do. I will marry you. And then we all go to our separate houses and don't talk to each other ever again. I wonder how many of us see it that way. When we know that a relationship has to be fed daily. You know, I love when, when we describe relationships like, like a tree or a plant. You know, you, 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 you give it the right sunlight, the right water, the right atmosphere, and it grows. But the minute that you stop, it begins to die. And so how many of us have stopped feeding our relationship with Christ? How many of us have allowed all these other things to distract us from what matters most? For why are we doing this? For why are we occupying here? There's going to be a lot of distractions. Last night on FNL, Friday Night Live, by the way, we do that once a month. I want to encourage you to come out. It's for young people. It's for collegiates. We had a wonderful time last night. Young lady preached. She's the head elder of Maranatha, I believe. And she was talking about how the devil works with doubts and distractions and so forth. Well, there are many distractions. And look what it says here in the scripture reading for today. Matthew 6, 33 to 34. It says, but seek First, the kingdom of God. What are we seeking first? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added to you. Many times we kind of just pause there. But look what is added on verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Look, there's a lot of stuff to worry about. There's enough to stress about. There's, there, there, you know, the bills are going to be there. The, the papers that you got to write, they're still going to be there. Just, just worry about seeking first the kingdom of God. And don't let all this hot mess of stuff mess you up. There's, there's, there's enough to worry about. But for today, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be added unto you. If you want to know how you're going to pay the rent next month, seek God. If you want to know how you're going to get better when you're hospitalized, seek God. If you're having difficulties with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your neighbors, with your co-workers, with your boss, seek God. Doesn't matter what the issue is, all of these things, you seek first the kingdom of God. Plain and simple, no what's, ifs, or buts about it. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word for seek here in Greek is zeteo. And here's the definition when you look. I got this cool Bible software because, you know, I don't remember all the Greek and the Hebrew. I remember some stuff, it just stayed buried. And then there's other stuff like, I've never heard that before. Then I look at my nose, oh yeah, I did. You know, so anyhow, zeteo, look, look what it says. To seek in order to find, to seek a thing, to seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning, to inquire into, to seek after, to seek for, to aim at, to strive after, to seek or require or demand, to crave or demand something from someone. Imagine if you were to put God or Christ in there to seek in order to find Christ, to seek a thing in Christ, to seek in order to find out about Christ by thinking on Christ, by meditating on Christ, by reasoning on Christ, to inquire into Christ, to seek after Christ, to seek for Christ, to aim at Christ, to strive after Christ, to seek and require and demand Christ, to crave Christ. Do you find yourself craving him in your life? 
See, this is very crucial. December 16, 1920, in Gansu, China, there was an earthquake that registered at 8.6 in the Richter scale, and it took over 200,000 lives. In July 28, 1976, in Tangash, in China, another 240,000 lives were claimed, and this was the same everywhere in the world. Northern Peru, Central America, South, uh, Southern Turkey, everywhere what they discovered is that the quality of the buildings made a difference. That weak buildings did not survive earthquakes. Weak buildings cost life. Weakened buildings with horrible foundations and the way that they're set up destroy lives because the buildings could not hold on. And it is the same thing in our spiritual walk with God. If you are spiritually weak, you cannot hold on and withstand when troubled times come. You see, many of us, when things go well, when everything is happy and everything is good, glory, God, praise God, glory, hallelujah, and we are very good. When everything is good, God is good. When things are bad and they're within our means, you know, like the other day when my minivan broke down, it was about 600 bucks. Hey, I got a credit card and I had the money saved in the bank. I actually had the money to pay the 600 bucks to get that done, which works out very well. Years ago, when I started driving, I would go to the piggy bank and go to the gas station. $2.76, please. You know, so if I would have had a $500 damage then, whoo, I would have not done that. So was I crushed a little bit this week when the van broke down? Absolutely. Did I have the means? Yeah, it was all right. I was able to do it. But there would have been times where I barely had $2 for gas. And if $500 repairs needed to be done, oh God, why? And we do that. When issues come within our means, we are still okay. But the minute that we are truly tested, the minute that we're truly challenged, we experience what it means to really have a weakened foundation. And what happens with that is that when our problems are larger than our inner strength, we crumble. Because weak foundations cost lives. Weak foundations cost your life. God provides a solid foundation in his word. As we meditate upon the truths of scriptures, we grow into mature Christians. God's words give our faith strength and stability. It enables us to stand when the storms of life are fierce, even through the storm in the midst of it. My God, if we're founded in him, he will carry us through. Steps to Christ, page 88. Our bodies are built up from what we eat and drink. As in the natural economy, so in the spiritual economy. It is what we meditate upon that will give tone and strength to our spiritual nature. Fill your mind with God, His Word, His Spirit. Open your heart to the influence of His Spirit through the Word. If you do, you will develop a solid, rock-hard faith that will meet the test of any earthquake or storm. This is Auntie Allen, Steps to Christ, page 88. Go with me to Matthew 18, verse 1. Matthew 18, verse 1. And while you're getting there, in a nutshell, you know, when I, when I, um, when, when I was sick, um, they asked me as soon as she come home, they say, hey, Joey, it could be bacteria, the early stages to bacterial meningitis. So what that means is that we're going to send you home. And yes, you could hug your wife and your kids and kiss them and stuff. But if you start seeing this sign, that sign, that sign, 
Call 911 right away and go to the emergency room because you can die. I was like, okay, great. And then they said, or it could be one of those viral meningitis that we just can't test for. So just go home and sleep it off and treat it like a flu. Get some fluids in you and call it a day. Or it could just be some weird random virus. Either way, we can't do anything about it, so go home. And so that's sort of how they left me. Something deathly or two unknowns that I had to just go home and eat and drink. But they said, but do go see a primary physician within five to seven days of leaving the hospital because we want to make sure you get a follow-up visit. That way maybe they could tell you things that we couldn't tell you. At least that's what I heard, you know, between the lines. And so I was blessed to find a doctor here, Dr. Pataxo. He's a member of our church, wonderful guy. And, you know, the very first thing he did was say, hey, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Where are the vitamins? Where are these things? Sometimes when I'm sick, I like triple up on those vitamin D3s. You know, make sure you get that on there. Get a little bit of sunlight. You know, just go stand outside and, and just, just take it all in. Maybe walk for like 20 minutes and enjoy that. Fresh air is good. And he went through all of these things about what I'm taking and what I'm breathing, what I'm ingesting, what I'm drinking, what I'm eating. All of these things would help promote my immunity and bring me back to where I need to be. And so, you know, I tell people, and I love to do this, that it's difficult to get good at basketball while practicing tennis. You know, it's just so hard. And it's so hard to get good at being fed with Christ when all you eat is everything else. When you can sit there through like a marathon of The Walking Dead, but you can't even watch 30 minutes of Doug Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so uh, that's all I saw in the hospital. Ugh. Uh, same repeat rerun, but anyways, that's the topic for another day. The point is, is that, you know, we, we struggle with that. You can't even do a five-minute prayer, ten-minute devotional, but you can sit through hours of other things. What is it that you're feeding your spiritual body? How can you expect your foundation to be strength into the, uh, strong in the Lord if you don't even hang out with the brother? If you only talk to him when, 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 when times are hard, when you're going through something rough? Hmm? Come on now, you can't say amen. Say ouch. Matthew 18, Matthew 18, we're beginning on verse 1. It says, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, verse 3, and said, Assuredly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is why I changed the title of the sermon, Wise Men Still Seeking, to Wise Children Still Seeking. Because there seems to be something unique about children. Unless you are like a little child, converted like one of them, unless you repent and convert, okay, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. By no means. Verse 4, therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So first of all, you got to be converted like them, and now you got to humble yourself. Humility seems to be a trait that is worthy of the kingdom. Humility seems to be a trait that adults may struggle with. For whatever the reason, maybe we are too confident. Maybe when problems come and we can't handle them, whether we charge it on a credit card or deal with it and we have the means, then why do we need God? Because I'm able to get myself out of this particular jam. No God needed. And then when things get way beyond our means and our strength, now we crumble. 
But yet when you are humble, you recognize that the might and the power, it is always from the Lord. You recognize that the source of your joy and everything you possess is from the Lord. You recognize that whether it is a credit card or money in the bank or perhaps a brother, a sister, father, an uncle or someone that is able to provide that for you, that it is not that you got it like that, but it is yet the Lord blessing. It is yet the Lord perhaps working through those means to be able to bless you. If he needs to use a donkey to talk to you, if he needs to have water come out of a rock, he will make it happen. If he needs to have bread rain from heaven or birds just sort of just drop. If you stink at hunting, you know, he'll just have him just fall right on your lap to provide sustenance for you, to provide what you need, but you must seek him first and then everything else will be added on to you. So don't get it messed up. This week, I was alright, but not because I had the means, but because he provided the means. When I was sick, they said, Joey, if you were in worse condition, you know, by the way, I'm so happy I'm fat, guys. You don't understand. I was like obese. And so now I got to the fat category. I thought I would never be so happy to just be fat. So he says, hey, Joey, you know, you're, you're like, you lost some weight. You know what I mean? You're, you're doing good. The fact that you're so healthy, you were able to recoup a little bit better and respond a little bit better. If you would have been obese like you used to be, you know, it would have had some issues. So praise God for being fat. You know, it is great. No more obesity. And, and so it worked out well. But it wasn't that. It wasn't that. Yeah, that's right. I got myself into health. No, my God is an amazing God. And he blesses us every step of the way. Even the very air I breathe. When I rise in the morning and I just, ah, you know, good morning. And, you know, some of us squeak a little, you know, all of that. It is a blessing from the Lord. The very air that you breathe, praise God for that. So humility seems to be key. Go with me to Matthew 19, just the very next chapter, verses 13 and 14. Matthew 19, verses 13 and 14. And look what Jesus says here again. Matthew 19, 13 and 14. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hand on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Verse 14. But Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. Again, another slight situation. He keeps mentioning how the kingdom of heaven belongs to the children. Then he says, for you grown-ups... You need to become like children. You need to be converted because otherwise by no means you will enter the kingdom. Go ahead and find your way to Mark chapter 8. That's the last section in scripture that we're going to read today. And while you're getting there, let me tell you seven things that I observed from children, from my own children. Things that I didn't understand as a parent. Why is it that Christ says that the kingdom of heaven belonged to such as this? Why is it that Christ says that you will by no means enter Unless you become converted like a child. Unless you humble yourself. What is it about that? When I had children, I started to notice a lot of things that I'm saying, I wonder if God is telling us. And by the way, this is my own understanding prayerfully. This is not from necessarily a commentary or anything else like that. This is just what I noticed in my kids that I started to wonder. I wonder if God wants us to have these traits as well. And so the very first trait that I noticed for my children is honesty. 
I, I don't know, you know, when we get older, suddenly, because we try to be polite, and I'm not saying that you have to be mean either, okay? Be, being, being honest and being a big meanie is two totally different things, all right? But what I'm saying is that, you know, I remember one time, uh, uh, you know, th- this, this whole shaving thing is it, it, pretty, isn't it? it? It doesn't happen overnight. There's a lot of science that goes into that. I have to be in the zone. I have to bring like four extra lights. You know what I mean? Make sure that it's all bright. Get some mirrors to the side and stuff. And ensure that it's just perfect. So, so one time, you know, the one line ended up like right here and another one here. And it sort of looked like this. And, you know, I go talk to my daughter. And my daughter's like, Dad, oh, you messed up, man. What is that? And she gladly told me very clear and very honest what was and what wasn't. You know, one time I made breakfast for them and I confused the garlic with the garlic salt. And you see it in their faces like, ah, ah, dad, disgusting. Ah, Very open, very honest, very clear. Some of us, even if it's food we don't like, you kind of move it around, space it out a little bit. You make it look like you ate something. And then you say, oh, I'm not that hungry today. You know, it's just, or whatever. No, but kids will tell you straight up, bleh. Honesty is crucial. And let me tell you why this is so important. Not just to be mean to people, but specifically for us. Because we manage to be very dishonest with ourselves. You ever heard in psychology they make, it fun in mo- they make fun of it in movies? Well, you know what? Recognizing that you have a problem is the first step towards recovery. Many of us don't recognize it because you know what? If I'm better than Bob or not better than Melba, I'm going to compare myself to Bob. Like, that's right. I'm more of a saint than he is, but I'm not even going to look at the sister. But if we're honest with ourselves, forget them. Compare yourself to the God of heaven and see how, how short we fall of his glory. And when we recognize that, the sooner you recognize that you stink without God, the sooner you'll surrender to him. But the problem is that many of us think we've attained and we think we're all right. And that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, Peter is probably one of the greatest examples. And as long as I'm in this church, you'll hear this over and over because it happens to us. Peter... Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You know, and this and that. Oh, you're the son of God. My father in heaven has revealed that to you. It wasn't of yourself. This was God in heaven speaking through you. Yay. And then Jesus says, let me tell you something else. I'm going to die later and this is going to take place. Oh, God forbid. You know, no, I'm not going to allow that. And then suddenly Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, wasn't God just talking through me? And now the devil's talking to me like two verses later? What happened? Did I, did I let that go to my head? <laughs> hey guys, that's right. G-O-D spoke through me. Ha! You know, I don't know what happened. But somehow, he was an instrument of both God and the devil within like two or three verses. And many times, we do that ourselves. We come here, we feel good, and then we're good to go the rest of the week. Living out there, not like children of God. Come on now. Got to be honest with yourself. So I notice that honesty seems to be key. The other thing that I notice with children is common sense. Common sense is, is, is something amazing. We, we lose that sometime along the way. I have no common sense whatsoever. I tell people, don't try to be cryptic. Don't try to be tact, you know, full of tact. Just, just tell me very direct and plain and pointed, and, and I would understand you. If you try to be cryptic, I'm going to miss it entirely, and we're both going to be frustrated because I ain't going to get it, and you're going to be upset that I don't understand what you were trying to hint at. So be very blunt. I'm good with that. I appreciate that because I lost that common sense, but kids have that. 
You know, kids really have that. There was one time we had, uh, you know, an, an oven at home, and, and I tried to grab something. It's like, ah, and then I tried to grab it again. It's like, Dad, if it was hot just like two seconds ago, why keep trying to grab it again? You know, I'm a man. I just, ah, ah, and, you know, lay it down. But, but, but you know, they, they, they kind of, they kind of see that. You know, I've seen people that, that kind of lost that common sense. They, they, they have a weakness. You know, whether they're drinking or whether it's a bar or pornography or something, maybe the computer, you know, now with those eye devices, it's so much easier now to, to do that. And if that thing is causing you the temptation, then toss it away. Get rid of it. But we find all these ways to come up with excuses. Yeah, but I also use it for this stuff. And I also use it for that. And I'm saying, no, 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 you can't do that. I, I had a lady once, you know, that she uh, put in the hospital and, and she wanted to go back home and reconcile and says, look, if it's toxic, if it's dangerous, if it's not safe, you can't do that. Yeah, but I need to go back and I need to get my stuff. You know, because my stuff is there. You know, you go always buy stuff. You can't buy your life back. You were barely alive. And suddenly, like, common sense goes out the window. Suddenly, we play and we flirt with toxic stuff in our lives. Things that are getting between us and God. It's funny because we're very selfish for everything, but we're not selfish about our relationship with God. Any little thing can trip us up. Even a church member that may have looked at us the wrong way or made a particular comment, suddenly, well, I ain't coming to church anymore. Why will you allow that to get between you and God? You have to understand something. Are you in unity with God or are you in uniformity with God? Remember the Tower of Babel when they were there trying to build it up and suddenly the Lord confused the languages and they all went their separate ways? I have to tell you, I love my family dearly. And it's something that we wake up one morning, we can't understand each other. From charades to drawing something, I ain't just going to pack my bags and go. And that was the difference. And we do that with God. Suddenly something gets in the way, it becomes inconvenient, and we just pack our bags and go. If you love the brother, you will fight to have him in your life and not let anything get in between you and him. So common sense seems to be a trait of children. You also have trusting. Ah, trusting. You know, we, <laughs> my daughter is a little bit suicidal, Ariana, the, the middle one. She, she's a little bit suicidal. You know, she, she can't swim. And, and when we go into the pool, she was just, she used to all of the time. We kind of stopped going to pools now because of that. She was just jumping to the deep and daddy saved me, you know, because she knew that daddy would go in there. And she just thought it was so much fun to jump and splash and just have me jump in, sometimes fully dressed, sometimes, you know, just, just to go after her and grab her. And it's like, yay, everything will be okay. You know, there were times we used to play fight a lot. We haven't done that now because uh, uh, we have hardwood floors and they're a little bit harder than carpet to wrestle. But uh, we used to play fight a lot. And I would come home from seminary sometimes and my son would just leap off the couch. And I'm, I'm having my stuff and it's like, you know, I'm grabbing him like what to attack me. And so it, they're trusting. They're very, very trusting unconditionally, regardless of what. She put her life in danger a lot. Just saying, my daddy got this. And many of us, the Lord sometimes calls us to go somewhere and oh, ah, and we don't seem to want to trust him, even with little things. Children are very, very trusting. Number four, they're innocents. They, they see the good in people. You know, we, we kind of taught our children. We corrupted our, our, our two biological kids. We told them, look, don't talk to strangers. Don't be hugging people. You know, germs, this, that, and weirdos out there. Just uh, don't do that. You know, my niece, when she came to us, you know, just when we were in the early stages of, of the adoption, 
we will go to random places, you know, to a friendlies to eat or something like that. And people will be like, oh, look at your dimples, so cute. Oh, thank you. And she's hugging all these people. It's like we had not corrupted her yet about that, you know. But, but they seem to just look for the good in everybody, just hug random strangers, regardless of appearance or smell. They'll just, they'll, they just seem to see the good in people. And that's phenomenal because when we have that innocence, when we see the good in people, when, when we are giving people the benefit of the doubt, when we're, it's, 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 it's kind of similar to that, that grace aspect that God has with us. I mean, Lord knows, I, I gave him a run for his money with my behavior growing up, but he was still there patient and loving and merciful and looking for the good in me. How nice would it be if we could see our neighbors through God's eyes? How nice would that be? What about faith? Children are full of faith. You know, guess what? I could beat all of you up here still. My kids still think that I'm the superhero and I could beat up everybody's daddy. I tell them, don't go telling anybody that because, you know, some of you guys are kind of big, you know, and, and, and buff. But according to them, they have faith in me that I'm just buff. And not only that, it's a faith without limits. It's a faith without limits. You know, I remember one time we, we brought home in Michigan. We put in this little dresser together from Walmart. You know, you put in like a couple of little screws here and there. And suddenly my son was like, hey, daddy. And then he saw in the little, in the little, can you build me that? He wanted me to build him a playground. You know, like, like you're giving me way too much credit. You know, I follow some instructions. I put like two screws in and that was it. Everything else was pre-made. And he's pointing at this like intricate playground that, that his daddy apparently can do, you know. And, and so, you know, th there's a faith and faith without limits that imagine if we had that in God. Mark 6, 6 says that God, that Christ, could only do but a little bit of miracles there except lay a few hands on people because of their lack of belief. We render the Almighty powerless because of our lack of faith. How much are you limiting God in your life? And could you imagine if he has such a faith as my children did in my carpentry uh, 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 ability. I think it's carpentry. I don't even know how to say the word, let alone do it. You know, but yeah, that. Imagine that if we have such a faith in our God. What about imitators? Children are imitators. You know, th there was a certain way that I used to speak to my kids growing up and, and certain phrases that I would use in Spanish, especially when they're in trouble. No, no, se acabó, aquí no, not there, stop it, cut it out. Do you hear what I told you? And man, Suddenly they begin to speak, and I'm working, and my and my son is trying to get my attention, and and, and I, you know I'm zoning him out. I got kids, I can zone out everybody, you know it's very cool, and I'm just in the zone and I'm working, and then he grabs my face. He's like, "Do you hear me? Do you hear what I told you?" He repeated back to me my very words. You ever had your children repeat to you your own words? Mercy. You know, but they mimic you. They imitate you. Imagine if we were imitators of our Heavenly Father. Imagine if we mimic Him in everything, in love and mercy and grace and wisdom and prayer. Christ Himself prayed continually. All of the time He retreated. And I don't know how that conversation went. Dear Heavenly Me, it's nice to see me and thank you for thee. You know, I don't know how that worked. But He prayed continually to the Heavenly Father. And yet we think we could survive on prayer just once a week here when I say let us bow our heads for prayer. Or just five seconds, Lord, thank you for the food I'm in. You know, if you even do that. Some of us just starts munching without even praying to God for the food. And so imagine if we were imitators of God, just like our children imitate us. I am certain that there's many other reasons why 
you know, God says we ought to be like children. But these are just some of the ones that I found. And can you picture how we would be if we were more like children? Let's go back to the last scripture for today. Mark chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. And it says the following. Mark chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. I wanted to, I chose this little small passage. I don't know if you ever heard anybody preach about this, but I wanted to use this as a conclusion to this message. And this is the reason why. This is the reason why. We talk, number one, about the distractions of this world, especially during this time of year. It could be a wonderful time or it could be a crazy time. It could be a time of depression and sadness and heartache and anger and fighting and so forth instead of something wonderful. We also talked about how nice it would be that this Christmas we gave ourselves to Christ. How nice it would be if we did this daily. How nice it would be if we had a relationship with him continually. How nice it would be if we were imitators of him and we humble ourselves, have faith in him, trust him, and have the common sense to get rid of those things that are toxic in our lives that are getting in the way of us and him. If we had the ability to be selfish only when it comes to our relationship with God rather than everything else. If we have the ability to fully surrender to Him. If we have the ability to see the good in people and look people through the eyes of God. If we don't have the heart of Christ as we see our brothers and sisters, then we are blind and we don't see the way that God wants us to be able to see. And that's a problem. And so why did I want to share this story? This is the reason why. All of you are here this fine morning. Praise God. Amen. You look gorgeous. Thank you that you're here. I am glad. You've gone a long way when there are others that have no idea that there is a Christ who died for you and me and is coming back to take us home soon. So praise God that you are here. However, understand that my God is working with us and it is a journey in our lives. It is a walk with him. Notice here how it was a two-part healing. He touched them, and it's almost like Jesus messed up the first time around. Like, you didn't completely heal me. Like, I could see a little bit. It is blurry. I, I see men that look like trees, which does gives us a hint that probably at one point that man was able to see clearly because he knew what trees were. You know what I mean? So he says, I see men that kind of look like trees. So it seems to indicate that he had vision once upon a time, and he lost his sight along the way. Notice earlier when I read that the Lord took him out of the town. He wanted to just spend time with him one-on-one. -on -one. There's no need to chastise him or bring him in front of everybody and do this. Took him privately. Had a little situation with him. Spinning his eyes, which is kind of gross, but you know, Jesus does his thing. It's okay. And sometimes things are going to get stinking in your life before you can come out on top. And that's okay. Sometimes you're going to go through bad, chaotic things, smelly things, saliva and all, to be able to come out to where you need to be. And he's saying, why God? We need to go through that. Through the furnace, through the flood, through the lion's den. But it's okay because with God, you will get through it. All right? Now, what happens is this. Some people seem to think, and scholars in their commentaries, that seem to think that the reason why it took two touches, 
that Christ spit on him, touch him, see men like trees, let me touch you again, is that it had to do with his lack of faith. And that's a possibility. But there was another incident in the Bible, and there's a couple of others, but there was another one where there was a man that couldn't walk, and his faith was on waters that would move. And if you get there right when it's moving, they believe that you will be healed if you enter the waters. And Jesus said to him, what's going on, man? The waters are about to move. I need someone to take me there, and I have no one to take me into the waters. I want to go. That guy's faith was in the water. But Jesus said, take up your mat, get up, and walk. The faith of Jesus was sufficient, even though that guy was thinking of water, not thinking of Jesus. Even though he wanted to go in and not necessarily think of him all like that. Christ's faith is sufficient. He's also the guy that can speak for the dead and, and tell the dead, get up and walk. The dead, what faith do they have when they're dead? Because the dead know nothing. So then it had to be the faith of Christ that was able to resurrect the dead who has no thought or any other share or profit under the sun. That's biblical, right? And, and so it was on the faith of Christ. So then why a two-part thing? I like to say, and I like to believe that at least in my life, this has been the case more than a second touch or a third touch or a fourth touch. And it's been this, that the Lord has brought me to a certain level of vision. And I have seen things a certain way, and he has brought me out of a particular place. Well, I'm there, I'm on a spiritual high, I'm in there, but somehow I lost my way, and things are some clearer anymore, and the Lord has touched me yet again to bring me back and bring clarity. I have also noticed in my life that he's brought me out of Babylon or out of a particular place, and I see things a certain way, but now that I spend more time with him, things have become even clearer. And suddenly I see things much better by His grace. And so I share this with you because if you have a difficult time surrendering to Jesus, if you have a difficult time giving up those bad things in your life, if you have a difficult time trusting Him, if you have a difficult time having faith in Him, if you have a difficult time looking for the best in people, loving unlovable people, because even wicked people love lovable people, so don't go and take credit. Didn't Jesus say something like that in the Sermon on the Mount? Don't go and take credit for, for loving people that are easy to love. What about those unlovable people? Don't go out of your way to lend monies to those that can repay you. Even the heathens do that. So if you have a tough time lending to those who can't repay you, if you have a tough time loving those who are unlovable, who are hateful, who are pitiful, who are spiteful, who perhaps are not the most attractive people, not the best smelling people, if you're having a difficult time in any of those things, perhaps you need a second touch. I know you've been touched once because you are here. But perhaps you need Christ to touch you yet again, to give you his heart, to give you his eyesight, so that you are able to see things from his perspective. And so it is my prayer as we go into this season that if you're having a tough time surrendering to him, trusting him, having faith in him, and seeing people through his eyes, that you as God, to touch you a second time. Because it is him that can restore your vision. It is him that can make you whole. Even if years ago, and you were like a 27th generation Seventh-day Adventist, and you think you saw clearly then, that's okay. Perhaps it is time for you to see clearly again and ask God to touch you yet a second time. Let us go ahead and pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God. And Father God, you know, I touch on a lot of things in this message. We only talk about a couple of passages, but this concept of being like children, this concept of needing you to touch us yet again a second time. Perhaps we're not seeing things as clear as you would want us to. 
This whole idea, Lord, can only happen if we surrender to you and we ask you. You told us to seek you first. And I pray that here, my church family, that we are wise people, wise children that can continue to seek you. Seek you first and your kingdom and your righteousness. And everything else, you will add it on to us. It is your promise, Father God. So help us, Lord. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us. We want to. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Help us. We want to, but the distractions sometimes get in the way. Help us. We want to, but we sometimes our heart has been broken so much that we have a tough time even trusting you. Help us, Father God, because even our earthly fathers weren't that great. So when we talk about you being our heavenly father, we don't know. We, we can't really have that great of a relationship with you because we don't know what that looks like. Help us, Father God, because sometimes we think that just back in the day, one or two hours from prayer was sufficient. And for years, it have gone by and we have not spent time with you. Help us, Father God. We need you in our lives. We need you to come to us and show us who you are. We need you to manifest your power. We need you to give us the strength so that we can surrender to you. We need you to give us the strength so that you can help grow our lack of faith and our lack of belief. Father God, we cannot do this by ourselves. We all fall short of your glory, but we thank you for your promises because no one who seeks you and no one who is called to you Will you by any means turn away? In spite of where we've been and where we've done, you are faithful to forgive us. May you bless us and keep us, Father God, as we surrender to you and ask for you to touch us again. This is our prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.